0: Happy Father's Day. Uh, you know, you, may, you probably don't remember this. I'm sure it was a pretty forgettable sermon, but my first Sunday here four years ago was on Father's Day. And um, I was not a father at the time, and so felt pretty unqualified to preach on being a father, but I, I gave it my best shot. It went pretty terribly. But um, this morning, after three years of being a dad, I'll tell you, I feel even less qualified to talk about what it means to be a dad and so uh you know let me just say how thankful i am for dads at this congregation that i'm able to look to and learn from about what it means to be a righteous father raising righteous kids so can we just give it up for our dads here this morning yeah so last sunday in the early morning hours a terrible shooting took place in orlando and the truth is that those of us leading worship up here, our Sunday mornings get going so early that we really didn't know the extent to what had happened by the time we started leading services. And so it didn't say anything Sunday morning. And of course, now we do know. And so we want to take a moment and pray right now uh, for that situation, those victims and their families that are suffering right now. So can we, can we pray as we begin this sermon? <clears throat> God, you are a good father. I'm so thankful for the way that you love your children, all of your children. And God, I pray right now for those uh, who are suffering, who are injured. I pray for those families who are grieving over the ones that they love that they've lost. God, I pray for relationships that are broken and lives that need healing. And um, God, we know that only you can provide that. God, we know that violence is not a part of your kingdom where you have said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I pray that you enable us to be people of peace who will bravely confront with peace and love violence, um, sickness, ideologies that run contrary to you, God. I pray that we will bear peace in all of those situations with courage. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. HE'D BEEN OUT THERE FOR A LONG TIME NOW. CURIOUSLY, THOUGH, NOBODY HAS COME LOOKING FOR HIM. NOBODY'S ASKING MARY, HEY, HAVE YOU SEEN YOUR SON? JOHN THE BAPTIST, WHO JUST BAPTIZED HIM, IS TOO BUSY WORKING TO GO AND FIND HIM, RIGHT? THE WORLD DOESN'T SEEM TO CARE THAT THE SON OF GOD IS MISSING AND HAS BEEN FOR 40 DAYS. You wonder how Jesus felt after 40 days in the desert. The text says that he was hungry, but you wonder how he felt, right? There's nobody pushing through the crowd to try to touch his cloak. There's no little children coming to him and surrounding him. He probably would not have minded to see a Pharisee because at least they cared what he was up to. They worried about him. But it's just then at his lowest moment that he sees somebody coming in the distance. And if it was me and I was Jesus, I'd be thinking, well, it's about time, 40 days. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but he is not surprised by who shows up at his lowest moment, temptation, the devil. The devil says, Jesus, you look hungry. You should turn these stones into bread. Man, it would taste great. That's the most relevant, pressing need right now. Just turn these stones into bread. Jesus won't do it. He says, Jesus, throw yourself off the top of this temple. I guarantee you the angels will catch you. It will be spectacular. People will be talking about this for ages. Just just throw yourself off. Trust me. He won't do it. He says, Jesus, look at all of this. Everything you can see, it can be yours. People doing what you say, power, real power. There is nothing like it, Jesus. Take it. But he won't do it. Jesus, who has been forgotten by the world for 40 days, gets offered that world and won't take it. Do you know the name Henry Nowen? Henry Nowen? Henry Nouwen was a priest and a professor it was so brilliant, his writing and teaching so popular, that he goes from being a professor at Notre Dame to Yale to Harvard. Peak of his power, peak of his influence, invited everywhere to speak, routine sabbaticals, a big deal. And he wrote about this later, and he said, everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside me was telling me my success was putting my soul in danger. And so one day, this professor at Harvard, this big deal, leaves all that, and he goes to work at a daybreak community, lay Arch community, some of you may know what those are. It is a, a home for physically and mentally disabled adults. And this big deal guy spends the rest of his life until he dies wiping spit up from their faces, cleaning them with sponge baths, holding them in the night when they have night terrors. No more students hanging on his every word, no more sabbaticals and tenure, just sponge baths and night terrors. And when he was asked about it, he called it downward mobility. Downward mobility. Something about that does not sound right, does it? It doesn't just kind of roll off the tongue. Down, downward mobility. It's the wrong direction. You're supposed to aim up, right? I mean, surely that's biblical. Like Haman. Haman. For example, we're in, the, we're in the book of Esther right now. We're in this series, and most of the sermons in the series have to deal with the character of Esther, but today we're thinking about these two other characters in the book. We've got Haman, and we've got Mordecai. Haman is upwardly mobile, must have worked hard for himself to get where he is. Number two in the empire when we meet him, the king... Has just promoted him to that job. Everybody loves him. Everybody's cheering. They're applauding. They bow down before him. Everybody loves this guy, but Mordecai, which really rubs Haman raw. I mean, all kinds of raw. So raw that he decides he's going to kill Mordecai and everybody like him. All the Jews. He's got like a slight temper problem, Haman. <clears throat> but it doesn't seem to bother Esther the queen of the empire, at least as far as Haman can tell because she has just invited him to dinner. The number two guy along with the number one guy, the king, I mean, that's a pretty elite dinner and he's he's been invited, feeling pretty good about himself. So Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, well, he was filled with rage against Mordecai Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, went home, and calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth. This is a great conversation. His many sons and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person that Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see Mordecai at the king's gate so his wife Suresh and all his friends said to him we'll have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it and then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself and the suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up there are no surprises in this text. The guy who aims up, the upwardly mobile, gets all the power and prestige he ever wanted, enough to wipe a whole group of people along with Mordecai off the face of the earth. And Mordecai, who is not aiming up, gets none of that. Mordecai, who saved the king's life one time when he overheard some guards plotting how they might kill him, doesn't get promoted, just keeps his job. And maybe we're thinking... He should have taken advantage of that. Maybe it pays to be upwardly mobile because Mordecai isn't exactly moving down. But in a world where everybody else is trying to move up, if you are not, you're going down. If you need proof, Mordecai, Haman's about to kill you. It looks like you should have aimed up after all. But then the king just happens to have a little bit of insomnia that night. And so he just happens to decide to do a little light reading. Only when you're the king, someone else comes in and reads to you and they read about everything awesome that you've ever done. So someone just happens to come in and starts reading that story to him. And they just happen to read the section about how Mordecai once saved this very king's life. And the king just happens to decide that this is the time to honor Mordecai. And who just happens to walk in in the middle of the night but Haman, Mordecai's arch enemy. Coincidence? Maybe. God? Maybe. And then listen to what happens. But um, as you listen, <clears throat> I want you to have that Carly Simon song playing in the background of your mind. You know the one I'm talking about. You're so vain, right? Mm, you probably think this song is about you. Everybody, you're. i uh, just kidding. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Uh, okay, I want you to have that song playing in the background. Watch how many times, okay, okay, just I have that plain in your background. When Haman entered, the king asked him what should be done for the man the king delights to honor. Okay, so now I want you to watch how many times that phrase or a version of it, the man the king delights to honor, shows up next. I mean, you can just see Haman rolling it around on his tongue, trying it on for size. I mean, he just sounds so good to him. Listen, you're so vain, right? Okay. Now, Haman thought to himself. WHO IS THERE THE KING WOULD RATHER HONOR THAN ME? SO HE ANSWERED THE KING, FOR THE MAN THE KING DELIGHTS TO HONOR, HAVE THEM BRING A ROYAL ROBE, THE KING HAS worn, AND A HORSE THE KING HAS ridden, ONE WITH A ROYAL CREST PLACED ON HIS HEAD, AND THEN LET THE ROBE AND THE HORSE BE ENTRUSTED TO ONE OF THE KING'S MOST NOBLE PRINCES, AND LET THEM ROBE THAT MAN THE KING DELIGHTS TO HONOR. And lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, and get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, and don't neglect anything you have recommended So Haman got the robe and the horse, and he rode Mordecai, and he led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, Well, this is what's done for the man the king delights to honor. Right? And afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. And his visors and his wife said to him, Well, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall is started, is of Jewish origin the group in Haman's crosshairs right now. You cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Maybe upward mobility is not everything it's cracked up to be. And yet, it is so tempting Which brings us back to Jesus. You know, I can almost see the devil sitting around with a group of older fellas drinking coffee one morning after those 40 days in the desert. And they're all talking about, as fellas do, like the weather and the economy. And then the conversation turns to their adult sons who are still sleeping on their couches and haven't moved out, right? And they're shaking their heads. And the devil says, I know what you mean, boys. If Jesus just had a little ambition, I mean, I tell you what, I practically offered him the world, he wouldn't take it. Some people. You can't help them. The guys nod their heads, take a sip. They get it. I'm hesitant to say that ambition itself is bad. I can't necessarily find that in scripture. But what I think is very clear in both this story about Jesus and this story about Haman and Mordecai is that if you make it your goal to move up, that the devil is going to dangle some temptation that is bad right in front of you. Henry Nouwen said, the guy who took the downward step from professor to caregiver, that there are three temptations to upward mobility. The temptation to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. The temptations you see in Jesus' story in the desert. And Haman falls for each of these, and it's funny. It's ancient comedy, right, to see this guy with such a tragic and ridiculous fall and the quest for relevancy to be spectacular and for power. He, he isn't just supposed to make us laugh, though, which he does. He's designed to make us stop and ask ourselves, well, how, how do I look when I am obsessed with moving up? Um, how do I look? What am I capable of? What terrible and horrible things am I capable of when I want to be more relevant and more spectacular and more powerful? What am I capable of? Uh, I had this professor in school named Charles Seibert, and he actually came here in 2010 and worked with our staff and elders. Great man. If, if you've ever seen one of those movies where there's a blind prophet... everybody goes to see to find out what they should do with their lives. Charles Seibert was that guy in Churches of Christ. He was blind as a bat, couldn't see a thing, but knew everything, And so um, I can remember the way he would teach his class is he had written a book back when he could see, and we would just sit in class and turn the page on the book that he had written, tell him what was on the top of the next page, and then he would start a speech. And so I remember really vividly one time he he says, Mr. Eric, will you um, read what's on top of the next page for me? And so I, s- I said, sure, Doctor Cyber. I said, Doctor Cyber, it says, positional power versus personal power. <clears throat> he smiled, eyes always closed. Ah yes, Eric, ah yes. He said, the thing is, you think you want positional power, but you really need. Personal power. Hmm. Only problem is you can get positional power if you try, but try to get personal power and it will elude you every time. And I remember us looking around at each other because remember he was blind and thinking, that doesn't help at all. <laughs> right? Reminds me of Cottonwood, Texas. It's been a while since a Cottonwood story. Cottonwood's where I preached before coming here on a good Sunday. We had 12. And in our little church of 12, we had a bookkeeper, we had a de facto elder, we had someone who closed and opened the building, we had someone who led communion every week, and we had me who did the preaching and the song leading, and as you just saw, that's not my greatest gift. And uh, you're so vain, right? So... We had all those positions covered in our little church of 12, but everybody knew who was in charge of Cottonwood Church of Christ. It was Yvonne Peavy. Yvonne was verging in on 90 years old. She wasn't an elder. She wasn't the bookkeeper. She just prayed a lot and was a good person. Uh, She was the kind of person that after Lindsay and I had driven out there on Sunday morning, she'd say, Lindsay and Eric, why don't y'all come on over for meatloaf and green beans for lunch? I'd say, Miss Yvonne, I'm okay. We need to get back. Eric, I'd say, okay, let's go have meatloaf and green beans. (laughs) And she'd say, "Um, Eric, after lunch, why don't you just take a nap there on that couch? You look tired. Oh, Miss Yvonne, we need to get back. Before I knew it, she was tucking me in, right? I mean, (laughs) Yvonne had no positional She did not have an official position, but she oozed personal power. One day, our de facto elder told me, pulled me aside after, he said, Eric, you know what? I think we keep this church open for Yvonne Peavy. She never tried to get that power. She just tried to be the right kind of person who did the right kind of things. She was like Mordecai. We know this about Mordecai because at the end of the book of Esther, the very end, Mordecai is remembered. And this is how he's remembered. He is held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. Why? Because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Notice there's nothing in there about his position, and he was promoted after this. But he is remembered, not for any position he had, not for any power he exerted, but for the kind of person he was personal power. Ironically, in this story, the book of Esther, where there's so many reversals, the downwardly mobile guy ends up on top and the upwardly mobile guy ends up on bottom. In fact, dead. Jesus said something about this. So the last will be first. The first will be last. Paul said something about this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Or as I've seen it translated, Make it your ambition to be unambitious. Now, it seems impossible for us to believe that any good, any good, could really come from being unambitious, from being unnoticed, uncelebrated, insignificant, the number two, the number three, the number four in your organization, in your family. It just can't possibly be good. And so, like Jesus, the devil shows up, starts dangling some temptation in front of us, And like Haman, we either accept that temptation or, like Christ, reject it. Maybe we should consider old Mordecai's downward mobility a little bit differently than we have before, because he was this guy who, even without the position that Haman had, had the power Haman did not. And in that reminds us of somebody else who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, a human being made in human likeness, he moved down. That's the story. And that guy turned out to be fairly relevant, spectacular, and powerful after all. Hmm. So maybe we should ask ourselves, like Henry Nouwen did, like Jesus, like Mordecai did, this question. And this is what we'll end with. Who am I when nobody pays attention, says thanks, or recognizes my work? Who am I when nobody pays attention to me, says thanks, or recognizes my work? Because your answer matters. If you have not given your life to Christ, if you are consumed by ambition, perhaps and want to take the downward step into the waters of baptism and we would love to share that with you if you'd like prayer this morning i'll be in the front for a few moments and then we've got shepherds in the back and i'll make my way back there i'd love to receive you as we stand and sing together let's do that now lord we come before your throne humble and amazed your greatness overshadows